You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre. What are we doing today? Um, this is a podcast, I think. You're useful as usual. <laughs> well, you've asked me one of the most ridiculous questions you've ever asked me on the podcast. I think we generally set up the topic and then we get into the topic. Oh, we let that, the listeners know what to expect. Oh, is that how we're working so, this year? So we, we've been trying this new thing this year with uh, two guys talking wine where uh, we've been finally branching out to other podcasts. We're not the only people that do wine podcasts in no, North America. <laughs> I, I kind of had fuzzy brain, though, because you launched a biscuit earlier and uh, I just I'm just I can't think. So the room stinks. I'm sorry. I'm trying to say I ate a lot of cabbage yesterday. Uh, you don't do that. Please. Uh, so now uh, that we've uh, shown our guests just how classy you were, you you were recently on uh, a radio show called The Connected Table. I was, uh, and you spoke extremely highly of the hosts uh, Dave Ransom, Melanie Young. Uh, we had a chance to catch up with them a little bit last year. So they are broadcasters, reformed PR people, reformed winery people, uh, and I think now just all around storytellers. I don't think they're reformed at all, but that's another story. Neither are you, but we put up with you anyways. And you know, I'd like to make people sound good. I don't need to make you sound good. We uh, need to make our guests sound good. I listened to the episode of their show that had you on it, and somehow they made you sound good in spite of your flaws. Anyways, uh, Dave, Melanie, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be with you guys again. And welcome to Cabbage Week, <laughs> St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, oh, jeez. You see a little early. I think he's like four days early on the cabbage, for God's sake. Well, we're actually in New Orleans this week, and they had their St. Patrick's Day parade on Saturday. And they'll have another one. So, and and of course, they'll have another one because it's the cabbages. land of parades. Yeah, they throw cabbages at people. Really? Why? Mm-hmm. Yes, they always throw stuff. That's like having to throw me stuff. And mister, that's what you do in parades in New Orleans. You throw things at people. That doesn't sound like fun. Is it fun? Well, not if you get hit in the head with a cabbage. I mean, that's the whole thing, too, is like, there's some cabbages. Like, I've bought like a six, seven pound cabbage before. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a dense vegetable. David <laughs> usually buys corned beef and cabbage sometime during the week. Of Which explains why Andre's, why I eat Andre's eating it. Because it's, it's a dense vegetable. vegetable. Yeah. All right, let's. Uh, so. <laughs> I guess let's get into the into this before. So you guys have met Michael, uh, and and my, sorry, I should say Michael has met you through some wine travel over the years. Um, what exactly is it that the two of you do on the Connected Table? Well, we started the Connected Table uh, in 2014 after our prior lives to be bring the story of wine, food, spirits, and hospitality to our listeners. We are storytellers. And after many years being behind the scenes, being a story whisperer to other people who would then tell the story, we wanted to have our own voice and tell it our way. And to share the stories of the people around the world we meet when we travel. We both love to travel. We both work well together. And this is our, our next stage in our life, and we've been doing it since 2014. I like the idea of a story whisperer. Give me the, give me the idea behind that, first of all. Well, I, as you know, I had a company that did culinary events and public relations for over 20 years. And uh, my job was to create stories for my clients to sell their story. And then I'd have to teach them how to tell their story in their voice. So I was the story whisperer. I would create the story, write it, train them to speak effectively to the media, and then they would either succeed or not. Uh, usually they succeeded because I was a great story whisperer, but that's what I mean by that. I mean, the secret to good PR 
if anyone ever hires a PR agent, is to listen to the person that you've hired. I think that's the one bit of advice I'll give them. I'll give anyone well, who needs to hire a PR yeah. agent. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, we have so much pleasure going out into the field, traveling, and finding stories. I mean, we're both writers who love to tell stories. And Dave, uh, you were a wine writer before Melanie. Uh, you want to give us a little backstory there? or? Well, yeah, I actually grew up in the wine business itself. My family owned a winery in New York State, just below you guys, and um, ran that for a long time. And once we finally decided to get out of the winemaking game, I wanted to stay in it and uh, started to pursue other paths within it and uh, eventually ended up writing. And uh, so I'm an editor for two magazines, and of course I co-edit and co-host The Connected Table with Melanie. Um, but I want to say to Melanie, one of the things that we like to do and what differentiates us from a lot of other podcasts is that while we tell the story of wine, what we really like to do is tell the story of the people that make the wine and the, yeah. and the families behind the winemaking venture. Um, and of course, restaurants and, and chefs as well. But uh, yeah. we, we, we tell the story of the people. That's really the focus. And when we're pitched, which we are frequently, and we're pitched about a product, we differentiate really quickly to say, look, our show is about telling the story of leaders, legends, legacies, and people who shape the industry. We don't analyze a brand. That's, we have another platform for that. We tell the story of people. And, where and that's the, where, a big differentiation for us because it starts with what's your backstory and, and, and what brought you into what you do. And and where did the where did the name come from? That's an easy one, and I'm going to say it. So when I closed M Young Communications, I um, decided, and it, I closed. It was at the height of it was doing great, but I had burnout. I was done. I wanted to do something different with my life, which I believe in. You have many stages, and a girlfriend of mine, Susanna Gold, who's a wine writer and also does public relations, was doing a project with us. We did a lot of event production, and she said, "What are you going to do now? You're so connected." You can't lose your connections. And that's really how the Connected Table started. The great joy of what we love doing, and we did for many years and still love doing, is bring people together in an event or a table and talk about great conversation over wine and food. And that's really how it started. And, and, and we had a vision actually to create Connected Table events around that. The show itself evolved because David had been asked to um, guest host with a good friend of ours, Jennifer English, who needed a co-hosts for when she was going on vacation and he subbed and it did well and I had written a book and I was on press tour for my book and people were saying I was a natural on radio so I ended up co-hosting with David the show for our friend and then we said why, why aren't we doing this ourselves and that's how the show started but it was a new reinvention for us personally both of us personally professionally I love that. And I, I love the idea of telling stories as opposed to dissecting brands. Because that's something I think, maybe not in those words, Michael and I have unpacked um, quite often on the podcast. But it's it's something that I do think, I guess, I guess this is where we can kind of get into some more of the discussion here, though. Um, one of the biggest problems I think the wine industry is, is facing right now, especially in how um, media is being disseminated, like... Uh, we recently talked to Paul Kay out in California about celebrity brands, and I, I'm sure you guys get pitched by a ton of them, whether it's Snoop Dogg or Martha Stewart, where they have very little involvement in the brands beyond throwing their face behind it, and there really isn't a super exciting story to tell when a very large factory-produced brand is doing that versus individual ones. But, I mean, what 
Where where, where am I going to go with this question here? How I don't know. Come on, bring it back to the station. Maybe you're maybe you're lost in the fog. <laughs> I'm not lost. I'm not biscuits. lost. I just need to figure out like the the the, the right word for those. Just like how how do we make people care more about the agriculture and the stories behind what goes into making wine? Because it's not the same thing as manufacturing um, widgets. Yeah, I guess that's a good one. Widgets, because like I know you could say like even with things like furniture or you know high-end cars the the stories behind who make them is what makes those things interesting well i think i think everybody you know has their beat if you're a journalist and you know it was our choice this was how we wanted to have our unique selling proposition and what we were i think it's up to you you have to be passionate about it there are many people and david may read who write about wine or spirits and they write about the technical part or they review and it's all about the wine uh, that's their thing. It's fine. They rate wine, but there are other people like us who want to get dig it. They want to, we want to dig into the dirt. We want to hear the family story. And we really like doing that for, I know me personally, that's really what it's about. First and foremost, starting at the source. Well, I think it also gives the wine a life and, yeah. the, and that product a life too, because you're actually telling the story of the people that had the passion to create that product. And, and you're finding out what that passion was. Maybe it was, maybe they inherited a winery. Maybe they made a lot of money in tech. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, maybe they grew up in it as farmers and decided to plant grapes one year when they, when corn wasn't growing. And all of a sudden they had the right. ability to make wine and they took it from there. But so there's a ton of stories out there. And for us, unlocking that story and unlocking why that passion exists is really what drives yeah. us. Yeah, the wine. Oh, you're pointing at me again. <laughs> uh, I can add something about celebrities. It's, it's one of those days. Um, celebrities, we have interviewed celebrities who are very much hands-on. Oh, tell us who. With their wine. Because we, 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 have not, we have not seen many of those at all. No, they're not very many, and we haven't interviewed. But I did an article on this topic for a company and really understood the difference between a celebrity that is all in and that means they're a partner and they own the brand and they it is like Kendall Jenner. Like I wouldn't be interested in Kendall Jenner ever. She's you know, 801 Vodka. But she's so all in. She goes to the tasting. She goes to the sales meeting because she knows that that's what you've got to do. And she is all in and part of the sales effort. That's very different than lending your name to a brand. That's uh, the only one I've ever met over my years is Sam Neill. He actually came out and he was doing the the tastings and and taught and he actually knew about his wine uh whereas you know uh we tried to I think at one point to get snoop dogg on because they wanted us to try his wine we tried to get martha stewart on we were we were pleasantly surprised with uh, sarah jessica parker's wine as well though where i think she's involved in the blending process so not necessarily the full grape to, to barrel thing but it was more than just lending her name to the product and a really good brand partnership with in vivo x in uh or in vivo in new zealand though she didn't seem to be part of the marketing campaign behind it she so. was we just weren't important enough to oh, uh, to interview her remember it was oh, uh R- renee Savarazza locally oh, who had a chance it. to interview her with some other influences got it got it but also we're not you and i aren't really the target demographic for the sex in the city crowd no we're really not no who do we talk to? Kevin Buckler, the race car driver. Kevin oh, he is really into his wines. Yeah, really into his wines California. and the packaging and the whole. I mean, it's the most unbelievable packaging. 
He's so into it. There's that one. And he fo- goes out to racing groups and he, he goes out himself and talks about the wines. There's that one football player in the States. He's got an uh, Inception winery or something like that. And supposedly he's involved as well. I can't remember what his name is now. Suddenly it's escaping me. It's the second time that that's happened. I think Paul K. brought his name up, well, That too. just makes you a bad journalist. You haven't done the research by now. No, I didn't know we were going to go down this celebrity <laughs> wine path. So suddenly I was... Uh, well, uh, I, you know, I think maybe bringing it back to the original thing that you said about stories, this is just like, I know that the market in general, craft beer has definitely seen its rise. Um, Canadians can no longer make fun of American beer as being water because the craft beer scene is so strong in every state and you can find a delicious beer there and it's just become part of the day to the day that I think, you know, if you're running a large brewery, and we're even seeing it now, if you run Molson Coors, you're looking for acquisitions, you're looking for the microbreweries that have an established market, and that's how you're continuing to make money, because those large brands are largely starting to disappear, or at the very least, they're certainly taking a, a crap kicking on the market. Do you think wine is going to have its time where more people are beginning to going to begin to give a crap about craft wine, or is it just the price to entry for artisanal wine is too high for, uh, I'm going to put this in air quotes, an average consumer to give a crap about getting into those stories. Do you want to answer that? Do you want me to answer that? I think you should. I think that there I is. I like the debate. <laughs> I, I think there's a market for everybody. You know, let's just, let's just get down to selling. There is a market for every wine and there is a buyer. You just have to know who that person is in target. There are the entry level people who, you know, I, I cringe when people say mommy wines because I'm a big advocate for uplifting women knowledge of wine but there, there are people who just want their nightly chardonnay and they just want it cheap and you know their lifestyle wine and whether you like that or not that's what they buy and it's selling and somebody's making money there's other people that want you know this the whole no low alcohol movement that, that you know whatever they think and we had a long talk about that at dinner last night because let's face it you can have one low alcohol low calorie wine or can drink but you're going to have several of them that's why they're sessionable so yep. What differences it make? So there's a market for everything. You know where we stand. We like to focus on again the story and quality. If we don't like the wine or the brand, I don't care. We don't care who it is. If we don't like the wine, we're not going to interview the person because we can't get behind it ourselves. We can't get excited, and we want to show our excitement about someone and something to our listeners. Yes, and so, and that's very important. So- and we turn down a number of. Uh, producers for that reason. So, I, I just a quick little question here: Who's your favorite actor or actress? One of the two. Oh, well. Well, the Oscars were last night. Huh. To give people a context as to when this is being Meryl recorded, Streep, Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett are my two favorite actors. Okay, okay so my, que- who- my question yeah. is: Meryl Streep and or Kate Blanchett make a wine. It's terrible, but you have an opportunity to interview them. Do you do it? That's a really great question. Have we ever talked that way? Well, we did. Alice Cooper was one of them. Remember, we were going to do Alice Cooper. No, we were, no, we were going to do um, Gene Simmons. Oh, Gene Simmons, oh. one of those people. I actually had the interview set up, and, and then we had, COVID and, hit, and they canceled their tour and never came to New York. Yeah, so we have. We were going to, you know, we wanted to meet Gene Simmons. It was like a, it's vodka. Like I don't even like vodka, but we were going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, but it was Gene Simmons. Because we like wanted to meet him. Because hey, you know, <laughs> but. Who's, who's actually a teetotaler, so he's just in it for the money. But there are other <laughs> celebrities, and I'm not going to name names, but there are other celebrities I would absolutely not want to interview on this 
the connected yeah. table. I have another show for women where I may go a little that way on it. Just to, it's a different thing. Do you want to give a plug to the show? Fearless, fabulous you. And I have also put um, women on whose wines we didn't love, but I like the story. Uh, a good example is Jill um, uh, Jill Ozer of Tenerel Cellars. We didn't love the wines, but loved her story. So basically, and I if, her for fearless, fabulous you. So if so, if uh, Meryl Streep or Kate Blanchett made terrible wine, that's where you'd put them. Well, I'm no, saying, no, no, no. I would. They'd be on the connected would, table because I'd want to interview them. We're well. <laughs> a team. If they want to, I would definitely put it on. And I've had. I've been pitched a lot about celebrity uh, women owners, and I've said I have a show for that, and have a good, interesting, have interviewed some interesting people. But it, you know, it, but it's never about the wine; it's about the the why behind what you're doing it. Yeah. All right. I well, will say, I will say when when something like that comes along our, across our as wine, which you know we're not we're, she's not going on clean wine, et cetera, et cetera. I'll interview her if I can get her, but I don't want to interview the brand guy about the wine or the. Publicist about I, I would be less excited because I really, I don't, I, and I'm not going to get into how I feel about the term clean wine too much, but I think the messaging, I, we, I, we were just pitched. Yeah. And I basically, we have a paid platform for people who spend a lot of money marketing strange terms like clean wine. And I said, we have something called the Connected Table Sips. We're very transparent. It is a paid platform. We'll talk about clean, we'll talk about whatever you want in the bottle, but you will not be on the live show. Interesting. Talking hmm. about that message. I mean, that, that is something that I think is a challenge for a lot of people. It's certainly something Michael and I have voiced our frustrations on in Ontario, specifically when it comes to content creation in general, whether it's Instagram, radio, television, whatever the case may be. Um, I know certain countries have stricter rules in terms of disclosure. I think in the United States, it's a little bit more clear if you're an uh, influencer, if you're posting on social media, whether or not you're being paid or not. It's actually one of the large problems in Ontario specifically. Like We have the third largest media market in North America after Los Angeles and New York. And the fact that we don't have rules up here that govern influences when money exchange hands, I think is largely problematic because now we're at the point where the consumers don't know the difference between what is actual, actual journalism or actual editorial being created by people and who's being paid for what. So... I'm sure I've got a question in there. You want to take it to the end zone, Michael? I I, I really don't know exactly where he's going here, but uh, uh, I I do know that it it, it frustrates me seeing that kind of thing um, where where people don't disclose that they've they've made money on on something uh, because they are uh, promoting something that you know deep in your heart is terrible. And you're wondering why they would do that. And you know that there's money that's changed hands. Have you down there in the U.S. seen that kind of thing where there's somebody you you respect and you go, yeah, um, uh, why did they do that? And and there's no no context of whether they took some money or not? Well, you see it all the time, especially on, on platforms like Instagram, where you know there are people out there that are taking money for it and just basically... You know, you're supposed to reveal that you're supposed to say it's but at least here you have to actually disclose that it's a paid partnership on Instagram in the United States. What are the consequences if you don't? I don't really know. I don't know. I think a lot of people don't follow it either, but I don't know. I don't don't know enough about it. We don't do enough of them. I I know in in Norway it's illegal. We have a a mutual friend uh, in Norway, Krister, 
who uh, has told me many a times that uh, in in Norway it's totally illegal. I don't know what it means that they come to your house and lock in handcuffs and throw away the key for promoting wine when you shouldn't have. But um, I, I'd be interested to find out what the uh, the the penalties were for I'm for gonna, not. I'm going to do a little research. I know yep. I know with FCC um, and and what I call traditional media, there are fines and there are issues. But everything is so blurred now. There's a lot of blurred lines because you've got uh, paid content on Instagram and TikTok, and you know I, we'll see a post, we'll see something, and just go that can't possibly be for free. I mean, yeah. we we question a lot of things. In our, I mean, we're very clear. We we're very clear what the difference is in the difference, and we don't do a lot of them. I wish we did because we like to make some money. But it's it, it, you know if, if we don't like something or like don't like the story, we're just not gonna. If it's crass, we're not gonna. There's just we're not excited about doing the story. Well, I just learned that 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 the FCC doesn't look at things on their own. It's not like they're out policing. You actually have to have a complaint, and then they'll look into it. So somebody has to be uh, offended enough to go out there and say, you know, that's that's crappy content, or that was definitely paid for and it's not said. Otherwise, nobody will ever know. Yeah, I don't. I don't have enough knowledge about it to answer i just know it's being done a lot i suspect it's being done a lot i'm really curious to see like where things are going i guess that's the one thing where uh when we met up before deciding what to talk about on the podcast all three of us have been around for a little while michael and i both started out in traditional media and we've seen those ad dollars dry up on on legacy media like radio radio in canada is certainly not in a super healthy healthy place we're seeing more and more syndication and consolidation um you know, I guess it's just like, are, are we at a point where, you know, lifestyle media is dying a slow and painful death? I don't really know. I think that I think everything can be resuscitated if it's done right. You know, just back to we love wine. This is wine is what brought us together as a couple. That's literally how we met. So for us, over a glass when, of wine. Uh, well, we met oh. at a, a wine event. His his family. He was pouring wine and I was there with friends doing my industry stuff and we connected and we lost touch for many years and then we reconnected over wine and then we started working together because I my business was growing in the no, wine area we started dating we started dating we started <laughs> yeah we started that's dating. yeah don't want to get into the Harvey Weinstein thing started going dating, and then my business in the wine area was taking off and I said boy I could use your help for some reason she thought I was an expert I said, you know wine better than the chefs. I had professional chefs working for me because my company did a lot of big culinary events with chefs. And so that is what brought us together. And the connected table shows are something that we can do comfortably together while still doing our writing for different outlets and everything. But it's something we do well together and we enjoy. And that, and if in the day we stop and we no longer enjoy it, we'll stop. I think that's funny. Like that's conversation that that Michael and I have had. A lot of times too, because we we mentioned this on this podcast a lot of time. We make very little money doing this. We have a few Patreon supporters, by the way. Check the thank, show notes: patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. And thank you very much to them. Uh, I mean, we get it. We basically have enough money to keep this going. We've been able to upgrade our microphones over the past couple of years and pay for our hosting. Um, but anyway, I, I I like the word that you just said that anything can be resuscitated because I think a lot of people in media are trying to find a way to get that resuscitation. And I I think it's like we've all said though it's. We're in a, in a tough place right now where even when we're talking about hard news, real news, 
CNN, Fox News, and our governments, and our governments north of the border. So right now, the Justin Trudeau government is subsidizing virtually all mainstream media. And you guys had the former president, Donald Trump, who spent his entire term antagonizing the public against the media. So there is generally a sense of distrust from the media now that is literally coming from the government. So I guess it's going to be a big blue sky picture. And we don't often do serious questions on this. And Michael, you can throw in your answer on this as well, though, is how do we rebuild that trust with the public, especially when we're in a situation where nobody knows what's true, what isn't, what's being disclosed and what isn't? And uh, what does that resuscitation look like? I don't really, I don't know. From my end, transparency, you've got to be honest. Transparency, you just got to be authentic and honest. And not everybody is, but that's not only the media. They're in business. There are a lot of people who are just not authentic in in any part of their life. We just stick to what we do and we love. And it's the best we can do and what we feel distinguishes us. Um, I can't worry about everybody out there because we got to take care of us. And it gets complicated. Like you doing these shows takes a lot of time all yeah. day we've been doing scripts or pre-recordings we're going on press trips and we got to bank our shows we just keep doing it because we love it yeah. and I, I think it's about carving out your niche um because the moment just to use the term that's that's out there right now the moment the big lie comes out um you can't put it back in the bottle there's no getting it getting it back there's no there's no stopping james suckling anymore there's no stopping luca maroney's anymore those guys who are going to give 95s as their opening score um they're always going to be out there now because people have seen that uh and they know how to get uh, eyeballs and uh, i don't know how many emails i get over and over again People promoting their wine and said, guess what? James Suckling gave us a 95, gave us a 96, gave us a 98. And I'm like, I've tasted that wine. And you are not even close, James Suckling, um, on that. And, you know, but people are going to believe it because they see it. Uh, I know winemakers don't believe it, but they'll take it. Advertising departments will take it. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have a, a monopoly here in Ontario that uh is absolutely killing wine journalism the best they possibly can uh, well killing local wine journalism correct there's no accountability in who who what they curate and research they're happy to to put uh you know shelf stickers on with scores but with zero regard regard or vet i mean it's the sort of thing where someone who i worked if you can't tell from my line of questioning i worked in hard news for 20 years um but i mean it's a sort of thing where it would make a news director's head spin the fact that there's no accountability and who who does that maybe to hop in on, on sorry to take the wind out of out of your sails though but i guess the thing that i have a hard time seeing and melanie david michael i think we all have a hard time seeing about this resuscitation is where does the intervention come in are we going to have audiences that are going to see through crappy content and cream will rise to the top or do we need intervention from regulatory bodies whether that be the fcc the crtc or 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 someone else i think you just for for us it's about just following your own path and Mm -hmm. having an authentic story to tell Mm -hmm. and if you do that you will have an audience and there will always be people that will listen to you and you will grow it from there we grow it organically we're not the biggest instagram following we don't have don't that. We don't have the biggest Facebook following. We don't have the biggest anything. But we tell an authentic story every week, and we've been doing it for ten years. And so, for us, we've get we've gained the respect of the people within the industry first, 
but mm. also the people that follow the industry as well. You know, we're so, not here to create, so, so solve we're not the, here to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, we're, we're not here to anything. solve the ills of the problems of the media. We're here to just to, we're just here to get people excited about wine and food, you know, and travel. I mean, really, it's that wine, food, travel. We love it. It gets us excited, and our fans, our listeners, the people who come to us, say when they say thank you for sharing this information about this producer or this place. I learned a lot. I want to go there. I'm so excited to try it that we did our job. I, you know what? I think the best way to do it is by setting an example now that I'm going to be done being devil's advocate. So, like, I really appreciate the philosophy and also just kind of the laid back way that you guys are, are dealing with this. Where it's just like, it's like Michael said, you can tell, I think you can tell Michael's, uh, like, Michael's definitely, Michael and I are both definitely frustrated, but like, to have like a laid back approach where it's just like, we're just going to do the best that we can and respond to the audience, I think is a great way to go ahead and doing that, and making sure you're doing it in an authentic way. Cause I think that, mm-hmm. I, I think, now that I'm, I'm done asking the questions, I think that cream rises to the top, and I don't really want to see more intervention from the government, although some rules for disclosure wouldn't be the worst thing possible. I, in my opinion, as I was sitting here listening to it all, and I'm and I'm thinking about you know where we sit with, with wine journalism, it's going to take somebody with, and I, it's definitely not me, uh, I don't know if it's Andre, could be you too, uh, somebody with a new approach. Uh, if you think, you know, Robert Parker brought us to a point where he introduced the 100 point scale and everybody started following it and that's you know where we it's going to either take a new scale a new approach a new something that will bring wine writing out of the doldrums and out of the uh of the state that it is in uh and i don't again i don't know what it is um and i and i and and like you i'm just looking after myself and and our podcast and what we do I don't think I stay up late at night going, I think I'm going to start the 300-point scale. So, no, um, that's the writer of the Toronto Star that's going to be doing that. Yes, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, I I have often thought, though, that uh, I, I think the only way to really just show how stupid the whole system is is to start at 100 and move up from there. <laughs> so everything gets 100, 110, uh, you know, things like that. Or- or work your way backwards. Give people a sixty. <laughs> I think that and um, say it's the best wine you've ever had. I think one issue and one that all writers who are not on salary need to stand up and fight is to not accept subordinate pay. Yes. So, you know, uh, I can say that. Yeah, you know, I I have had oh you know thirty years success working in wine I mean I come from I'm not a new kid on the block here. I've been around this quite a few yeah, times. Yeah. And we're, you know, when I was a consultant for wine regions, I did all the writing. So for me to go out and become a freelance writer and people say, I want to pay you fifty dollars for an article or a hundred when I've been doing this for thirty years and know my shit, like I don't need that. I'm not gonna accept it anymore. You know, I'm I actually, not going to take it. I, I push back. I, I think that's. I, I think that's that's great. And I actually think it is one of the problems that that we have as well is it's just like the rise of the wine Instagrammer has taken off so quickly. And I actually I, I heard the story of a PR agency in uh, Ontario who reached out to some up and coming wine bloggers. And I, I mean, when it's not your main job and you don't need the money, it's very flattering when someone offers to send you free booze. And I mean, I've said it, it's the joke that's not a joke. Like when I started doing this on the radio, it was, uh, you know, it was flattering to have the opportunity to get access to product I didn't have to pay for as a 23-year-old making $35,000 a year at the radio station. 
Um, what this PR agency did, though, is they're reaching out to influencers, asking them to post at zero cost, and then asking them for their analytics after, which is completely that's beyond. Work. The, yeah, that's completely beyond the pale. That a PR agency would 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 think that that's an okay thing to ask for at zero cost. You're, you're oh, giving. No, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens and, all the time. And, and we tell people, well, you're the PR agency. You do the analytics. People will ask me what our listenership is, and it's like, okay, I'll tell you what it's to me like. It's like if I'm dating someone, and and you're a guy, and and you're interested in me, and I just go, how how much money do you make? Because that you know it's a deal killer if you don't make X amount. That's how I feel when somebody says, "What's your listenership?" It's like, did you ever? And half the time they never listen to our show. Yeah, they just care about the numbers. And you got people, and all they do is care about the numbers. And we say, look, if this is all you care about, we're probably not your best. Show, go on. Call us though when you're ready, because we're not ready for you. That, that so being I just said, you back and take the upper road. That, that being said, though, I do think that there is something that can be said about a, a mentorship and and you know doing interviews like this where you and Michael met, connected on the trip to be able to talk to each other. And obviously, we're not going to air our dirty laundry on this, but to be able to talk a little bit about like, oh, this PR agency pitched me and offered us this, and to have those conversations so that when you're dealing with up and coming people, you can give them an idea of where the baseline is because like i said for one of those people who were offered fifty dollars that might seem like a really good deal for them well as you said when when people are offered that that fifty dollars they've already got a day job so it's just fifty dollars for booze or or they get no, this the, is an editor. it's this it, is an editor but it's but it's amazing how how, how much <laughs> it's amazing how much people will do for a free bottle of wine it's just and i think that's what it's what it's come to when you realize that some of these these Instagrammers and these newcomers, they get that bottle of wine and suddenly they'll bend over backwards just to have a free bottle of wine come to the door, a free case of wine come to the door. Um, and it, well, it really diminishes that all, all that we do. We all take the high road. And, Michael, um, it's been such a pleasure traveling with you. Uh, it really is. I have to say um, – David's been doing it longer, but you know, when we go on our trips like you, we go looking for information. We go learning. We value every day we're there. Somebody posted on a site that I'm on a travel writer site. uh, And it's just, if you should be grateful for your free vacation. And I wrote her back. I said, okay, I don't consider getting up at 9am being on for 12 hours, getting maybe one hour to change my clothes, answer emails and post and edit photos and having to be on 100% of the time, and even if I'm tired, I don't consider that a free vacation when I'm constantly looking for stories. <sighs> to me, a free vacation, a vacation is when I'm disconnecting. And she apologized to me. I, th- I think, but, do you think, um, I, I, you know, we take our trips very seriously. We think about how we're going to deliver. We think about strategically, and and you know, I think that's important. I, I do think a lot of people who are who are civilians and not in this do think that the the wine trips are. And, and don't get me wrong, like it's nice to travel. But it is work. Uh, I, I remember text messaging my wife when I was on a press trip to Chile where we got three hours behind schedule on our itinerary and we were tasting wine till 1130 at night. And so I tried texting her um, to let her know, like, I just want to get into my bed. And like, we're, we have these obligations. We have these obligations to the producers that have been set up. But I have to say, there was not a lot of sympathy on the other side of the phone because it was the middle of summer in Chile and minus 15 in I, Toronto. I, I, I used to, when I first started going on trips, I used to you know try and post that night what I did that day. And it just became impossible um, for a number of reasons. One, you, you know, you had to write the story. So that never, it never came out right. Uh, you could just post the pictures. That 
you know, need some context. And number two, some of the internet is just so terrible that, uh, I remember yeah. once trying Stop to do doing that. that. I was I was in Portugal once and uh, I, I I remember we got back at eleven o'clock. I didn't get to it till three in the morning, trying to post everything because the internet was just so slow. So now it just it comes after the trip. I mean, there's nothing wrong. That's this is usually, the same with us. Yeah, you know, and, and and if somebody wants us to deliver by a certain date, we consider that work. Yeah, exactly. And that's different. That's a deliverable. And as soon as we're put with a deliverable, we're a time frame or a direct. Then it, then it, that's where it crosses the line into: Are you hiring us to do work for you? And you, and you also we're going on a trip to gather information. And you also you also get those yeah. emails that says, "What have you done with your information that you got?" You actually have to show that you you got something out of the you know quote unquote vacation. Uh, you know you have to show that you've 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 written some articles, put them in in a newspaper, put them somewhere. They're they're you know familiarization trips is what they are. Well, and I find it as. I find it frustrating because I'm doing less and less writing, but I still have a weekly radio show on a large radio station in Toronto, and not every segment is posted online. So it's it's tough when something's ephemeral, and you know, media tracking could be better. Anyways, can I? You know what? Can I shift things so we can end things on more of a high note? Because I know this has been a pretty austere yeah. austere podcast, and the three of you have traveled together. Um, and you know, when we're posting this, it's going to be a little bit warmer outside. Like the Oscars were about a month ago in, in terms of time traveling now to the future. So we should be starting to see signs of spring here in Ontario. I'm sure, uh, you guys are, you guys are nomads, right? Sort of. For the most part. For the most part. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's almost guaranteed to be warmer where you are than where we are a month from now. Um, if we're well, thinking, we are, we're, we're in the United States, of course it's warmer. <laughs> well, hold on a second. You could be in California. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, the... yeah, we could be in northern. We could back in New York that's State. True. Actually, they were expecting they were expecting what ten inches of snow in New York this today. No, they were expecting more in, in northern California. So you know, it's yeah. it's four here. So thank okay, you I much. said I'm trying to end things on a high oh, note. Sorry, Why I are didn't... you hijacking this? Oh, sorry. We... You know, my my wife and I were thinking <laughs> we about about maybe uh, a packing a, a trip into the summer. We've been slow to to make any firm plans because we have a newborn that arrived in in January, and we didn't know what traveling with a thank newborn. You, congratulations. Thank you. But you know, we have no idea what traveling with a newborn is like. And so far, having a two month old, we um we had a chance to recently do our first winery visits, and you know, luckily knowing the people at the wineries having a screaming baby in the tasting room wasn't the worst thing ever. But, uh, you know what? Let's, let's go around with the, the three of you, my world travelers, where I'm stuck in Toronto at the Toronto studio editing all of our work. Uh, where should my wife and I think about heading this summer? Oh, sorry. You really are just Ooh, like in a bad mood today. <laughs> We're north, north of the border would be your territory, but we could give you a few ideas south of the border. I think, I think you know, with a newborn... You want to go somewhere that is family friendly. It, it may be hard to go overseas right now. I mean, it's a it's a tough trip for a kid, so you may want to come south of the border to uh, the Finger Lakes, which is nearby but very different. And there's a lot to see and quite beautiful and family friendly. Uh, great wines, but also very family friendly. I'm super. I think, I'm super happy that that, that that was actually already on on the list. Like I've been to uh, to, to Geneva, Geneva, right off of Lake Seneca, and what is it for us? It's Victoria Day for you guys. It's Memorial Day. Yeah, yeah. With all the bunting yeah. out, and yeah, so that's definitely definitely on the list. Yeah, Finger Lakes is great. I've always loved the Finger Lakes. Um, it's always you know beautiful. 
the mm-hmm. scenery is great. Like, I mean, that's the, fabulous. You know, uh, I've 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 always preferred Ontario wine to New York wine. Uh, I'll I'll be honest with you, uh, for the most part, in a, in a general state. Um, but what uh, what I think the Finger Lakes has over Ontario is that you guys don't have a big QEW running right through the middle of it. Um, you guys are like it's, it's quite it's, bucolic, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is this most serene um, wine regions I've ever been to, where you know everything everything around the next corner is like really really beautiful, and you stay at a ho- at hotels that just overlook some great valleys and stuff. So and the and the lakes are always you know nice and blue and all right. Well, here's, even here's, even the Walmart on one of the lakes looks good. Here's the throwback. So. Here's the throwback. Wines of New York, Finger Lakes tourism, and Walmart did not pay us for that shout out. That yeah, was that was legitimate yeah. recommendations coming from this podcast. Uh, we we loved it. It was when we started our nomadic life. That was the first place we went. I, I you know, still Andrea, need to head down. Incredible. to depends on how long you want to spend in the car because there's yeah. lots of places you could go. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So I my, just my, my flying my, with a newborn right now is hard. Well, my wife and I, we bonded. Uh, we bonded in, in the car. The first trip that her and I took together, we went to France, rented a car, drove from Paris to Saint-Emilion, drove from Saint-Emilion to Lyon, Beaujolais, Burgundy, and then drove back to Paris. Did not have did not have a baby with us though. But a longer road trip doesn't bother. Like Finger Lakes are about four hours away for us. Yeah, a little, just, little closer, it's but yeah. Packed. It's easy to get around. There's a for, It's affordable. Yeah. Uh, there's things to do other than drink wine. There's a lot to do there. Um, so that would be one thing. If you want to tack another, if you want to double the drive time south, you can go yeah. to Virginia. Virginia's beautiful. Uh, some fabulous wines in Virginia these days. It's beautiful. A, they're doing a great job down there. But I think harder for a child. Again, I'm thinking about having a, a kid because it is more further out. Again, the regions are longer drives and distance because Virginia is much bigger yeah. as we've driven it many times. And we love Virginia wine. Not as, not as many wineries as New York. But yeah. I mean, just, it's just so it's compact. Also pretty spread out. Yeah, you know, I think it'll good beer in, New, in good beer in, in uh, Virginia. No, well, it's good beer, craft beer and, and spirits in New York state. The yes. Lakes, very, very good. Virginia too. I mean, we love both. We spent quite a bit of time in each area. Uh, they are equally beautiful. And diverse, uh, and we love the wines, but they're just completely different. I, I think that you know Virginia's elegant and and wonderful, but it's longer driving. I would also I would also uh, throw in uh, Northern Michigan, uh, Lena Peninsula, stuff like We've that. Not been there yet? We yeah, want to go. really, really lovely. That's actually, one of the places on our itinerary. We have a summer. friend who invited us to do a drive from New York over to Michigan. And I just said to maybe we'll do that. This yeah, summer. no, the Lena Peninsula, and there's there's two peninsulas there. Um, uh, that are really nice, and uh, yeah, they're they're worth uh, worth checking out. And uh, for my beer swilling friend over here, uh, I think they rank fifth uh, for craft cool. beer, like number of craft breweries. You know, in the but, state. but here's the thing: though. It, it depends on the on the style the style of beer. Because like I remember on on a press trip to Oregon, they were extremely proud of their craft beer scene. Uh, I don't like super hop beers, and it kind of took. That was the moment where it kind of clicked in, like what style means what. Like, pardon my igno- my ignorance in the styles, but it was just like every beer I tasted in Oregon was to me worse than the last. And then it's just like my the press handler was just like, "Oh yeah, we grow a lot of hops in Oregon," and it's just like, "Oh, that explains why I don't like these beers." Everyone tastes yeah. to me like a like a sweat sock. But if you love APAs, IPAs, Oregon is the place for you. But I'm looking for a place where I could get a good lager. All right, we're we're all stymied on there, but I mean, Mich- as I said, Michigan's the fifth largest uh, craft brewery state at the moment. So 
Well, there we go. I, you got to be able to I find something. I want to try the Michigan State wines. I really do. When I was doing a blind tasting of oysters, we did a blind tasting looking for oyster wines with a good friend of mine who, who taught me about oysters. And a, a Chateau Grand Diverse won the blind tasting the first year. So how, how was your crawfish tasting? I saw you had a big bag of craw, crawdaddies. And- oh, yeah, yesterday. Oh, it's surreal. It's we had five pounds. Yeah. We just sat there. It's Each? like rhythmic. It's almost meditative. You 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 pull. You suck. You tip. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Dave. It's great. Congratulations, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and and the best thing for with crawfish is beer. Just beer. We ate a lot of crawfish. If that's what you're calling it. Oh my God, Michael. <laughs> Thank you too for being on the on the. You know they say suck the hell and squeeze the tips. That's what they have to say about crawfish. See, and that's why we get along. This is this is Dave Ransom and Mel- Melanie Young from the Connected Table. How can people how can people connect with you? How can people find you? Um, easiest way is you can find us. We have a website called theconnectedtable.com. dot com. You can hear our shows there, right? And you can you can actually hear all our shows on that too by clicking the links and doing the stream. You can also find us on Instagram as The Connected Table and uh-huh. on Facebook as The Connected Table. And you can hear our shows on 30 podcast channels. The biggest ones are iHeart, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Spreaker. But like I said, you can also stream them. If you don't feel like signing up for a mailing list, you can stream them on theconnectedtable.com as well. I'm following you right now. Thanks. You hear that? You hear that? just done it. You hear that, Michael, though? Like, their social media is all nice and consolidated. It's in one place. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be very happy in a few minutes, Andre. <laughs> I'm Andre Prue from underwinereview.ca, which I'll fully admit has been badly neglected, but I'm still at underwinereview on all social medias where it's lately just been pictures of my little baby, Spencer. Yes, I've noticed that. And I'm Michael <laughs> Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. I have taken Andre's advice, and you can find me at the Grape Guy on now Instagram, <laughs> uh, Twitter, and if you do thegrapeguy.ca, that is the website as well. Good job. Thank you very much. But now I'll see, I have to fill that time that I used to do with all the other stuff, so I'll just keep doing that. All right, take us away. Uh, thank you very much, Melanie, David. Enjoy your crawfish, your beer. And whatever else you're doing in the field. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.